Am I on? I am. All right. If you can't hear me, you can see me this morning. All right, so let's get down to it immediately. I want you to understand who I am. I am a very competitive person. I like to win. Uh, my kids are here, grandkids, and they love to see me lose. <laughs> we play games every night, and as long as I beat my son, I don't care if my grandkids beat me, but I got to beat my son. Growing up, playing sports, I had one goal in mind, and that is to win. I think all of us today, as we were singing those songs, as we were worshiping, especially the last one, when you're at the end of yourself, and we were excited, we were worshiping, we were looking to the Lord, and today I want to get into my favorite chapter of the Bible. If you were here last week, someone said, hey, I'm going to get into my favorite chapter of the Bible, which is Romans chapter 8. Just to let you know, just before last week's service, before I came to church, I had put the final period for this sermon. And when he said, I'm going to preach out of the favorite chapter of that he of the Bible that he likes, I'm like, oh, Lord, please, please. And my wife was sitting next to me, and she was saying the same thing, oh, Lord, please, don't say, let him say Romans chapter 8. So I had to go home and kind of redo things a little bit, because I'm not sure if you were here last week, you followed what the pastor said last week. I'm not going to ask for the raise of hands, but how many actually got into chapter 8 and read it like he told you to? Ooh, I see some hands even though. Wow, Carl. <laughs> that is, <laughs> he told me before I even started he was going to heckle me all the time. So we have a special relationship. I just want to let you know. But getting back to winning, the attitude and Paul, of all people, he lays out doctrine. He lays out what we need to believe. And it was interesting as I was singing that song and we come to the altar and we see Jesus. And we do something. We feel good. Sometimes there's a disconnect. Okay, I've done that, but how do I live my life? So I want to center in on not only chapter 8 today, but chapter 12, the first two verses. Paul says something that doesn't make sense to me. It would not make sense to any of you if you are all about competition and winning and wanting to do the best and make sure that the score is higher at the end of the game than when you started and the other team, right? He asked the most bizarre thing of us. If you really want to come to the altar, if you really want to live life and be happy, be content, have joy, have peace, he asked something that is bizarre. 
he asks us to die. If I ask all of you a question today and said, hey, this morning when you woke up, did you want to be unhappy or happy? What would you say? <laughs> if you said unhappy, there's something wrong with your mind. <laughs> Paul also tells not only do we need to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, but we also need not to conform to the world, but let our minds be transformed. And so I want to talk about the mind today. I want to talk about how do we take what Paul says and incorporate it into our lives. I think it's so great. I don't know if we still have the picture up of the building that we purchased down the road. I'm just calling it a building today because guess what? Where's the church? Right here. When we leave this building today, the church goes out. And it's how you're living your lives among others is the key. That's the church. I'm all excited about the building and all the potential ministry that can happen there. But do you realize that if the Lord can capture your mind and you will not conform to this world, we will transform this community. You know, the problem with happiness... It's fleeting. It's a feeling. My kids, even last night when we were playing Estimation, I don't know if you know that game or whatever, but you bid to, make, to see if you can get as many hands in that particular uh, time. And they are so thrilled when I lose my bid and I don't get the points that I need. My son always says, you know, when you're winning, you're way up here. And when you're losing, you're way down here. Your whole attitude changes. I'm like, what? You're not, no, that's not the way it is. But it is fleeting, isn't it? You could feel good at one point and then not the next moment. So we need to ask ourselves, how do we face life? And how do we base our happiness? What do we base our happiness on? One of the things that I've always said when I was pastoring full time is that the church itself is in a weakened state when those who are in the church do not have the proper knowledge. And I firmly believe that. But the older I get, the more I realize it's not only the knowledge, but it's what we do with that knowledge. And so I'm going to do a little experiment today. And I want to tell you my beliefs. But before I do that, I want to tell you that we are confronted with only two options in life. There are two things that are trying to capture our minds. It's the worldview. We have a secular worldview on how the world operates. And we also have the Christian worldview. The first, as we all know, is based on the notion that all things are relative and ever-changing. When I was going through school, 
to get my counseling and psych degree, you learn about the mind. You learn about mental illness. And the interesting thing is there's a manual that we use. And if you have these conditions, then you diagnose that individual with this mental illness. Well, we're in the seventh revision of that manual. Why do we revise it? Because things change. The norm changes. Everything that is based upon mental illness is if the majority of people are doing it, then it's normal. So when we are looking at the worldview and it's ever-changing, there's no absolutes. The worst thing, have you ever played a game and they keep on changing the rules in the middle of the game? That's the worldview. The Christian worldview is based on biblical truth. It doesn't change. God doesn't change. And Jesus tells us about being in the state of happiness as well as the current culture does. And both have consequences. Outcomes of living by those who choose what worldview. So I have done a little playing around this morning. And I'm going to tell you in one way what the current culture says. Blessed are the rich, for they have it all, and they have it all now. Blessed are the happy, for they are content with themselves and don't need others. Blessed are the powerful, for they can control others. Blessed are the arrogant, for people defer to them. Blessed are those who fight for the good things in life, for they will get them. Blessed are the sophisticated, for they will have a good time. Blessed are the sexually liberated, for they can fully satisfy themselves. And blessed are the famous, because they are envied. That's the worldview beatitudes. Now Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mm. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will, shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what does it mean when Jesus says blessed? The Greek word is rendered happy. 
Some of your Bible translations might say happy rather than blessed. But that's not good enough today. We need to really understand what the Greek word is really describing. And it is a, it is a person who is especially favored by God. Who is therefore in some sense happy or fortunate because of it. Getting back to the secular worldview, that worldview is a product of Satan. There might be some today in the world is trying to say, hey, there is no devil, there's no Satan, there's no hell, there's no evil one that can influence you or do. But Jesus sure has said some things about Satan. He's a murderer and a liar. And he's brought great havoc on humanity. And as people buy into his lies, their happiness soon turns to sorrow. It is quite evident today that we see the condition of our world. Every day we see consequences of those who believe in the secular worldview. My wife has restricted me from Fox News. <laughs> she doesn't want me to read about all the things that are going on in the world. I guess at some point years ago, she was saying, it really is affecting you. The way you're looking at life. Every time you look in any news, it's not pleasant. We read every day violence on our streets, violence in our schools, people just walking down the sidewalk and someone, someone coming up and just assaulting them for no particular reason because they were just walking down the street. I think it's fascinating that as you can tell, I probably do read the news a little bit because I'm, I'm saying this. Don't tell that to my wife, so I need to be secret about that. But hey, we look at our politicians. They're all over the place. I mean, we are come to the point of society where we don't even know who we are, what gender. It's all about gender. There's all kinds of crazy pronouns now that I can't even pronounce. I have no idea. When I get emails from work in California, they always have their name, their title, and then they have right next to it, he or she. They use their pronouns so I know how to address them. There are ones that are in power today that when they're asked, can you give a definition of a woman? Come on. <laughs> I mean, it's how, that's how bizarre our culture has become. That's the consequence of the enemy, the worldview. And that really shouldn't shock us today. For the Apostle Paul says, in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, irre malicious gossips, 
without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. That last phrase is that in the last days, there are going to be ones who are churchy, ones who know they have knowledge, but they don't really live it. It's without power. The Christian worldview is a product of Jesus Christ, and the consequences of those who believe in the Christian worldview is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The problem today, I think, in the many in the church, is that we don't like the two, just the two worldviews. So there are some that are trying to do a hybrid. We know we need to be spiritual. We need to have that. But at the same time, ah, you know, I really like these things of the world. And so they're trying to bring both of them into existence together in their lives. And I can tell you that those who are doing that are not happy. As the pastor last, last week said, there are ones crying out, I am not living the way I would like to live, but I'm doing the very things I hate. Some of you are still bound by hate, unable to forgive those who have done you wrong or unable to forgive yourself. Some of you are still bound by addiction or sickness or in bad relationships, and you are without hope. Some, still believing that if you acquire just one more thing, that's going to make you happy. But you're still not satisfied. Always feeling that you're lacking something. But I want to tell you today that you don't have to stay in that valley of despair. As many can cry out, wretched man I am, who will set me from this body of death? Paul has presented the most basic, most comprehensive statement of true Christianity in the book of Romans. He has laid out biblical doctrine, biblical truths, and beliefs. As I said earlier, I'm going to share my beliefs, and my desire is that these are your beliefs too. I get emotional because of what God has done and what I believe. And the consequences of my beliefs in my life. I want to tell you, I am happy today. So here are my beliefs. I choose to believe in the truth of God's word. I believe Jesus Christ is the way, truth, and life. Amen. 
He is the one who redeemed me. I have been purchased by his shed blood. He is the one who has sent me free from the bondage of sin. He is the one who began a good work in me. You might say today, who is this Jesus that you are talking about? Jesus is truly God, and he is truly man. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of John 1, the first chapter, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. He was, in the beginning, God. Jesus Christ is God. He is pre-existent. Jesus Christ was with God. Jesus is fully divine. Do you realize that Jesus, God, is above creation? He is the awesome creator as well as the Father, the Holy Spirit. Christian theologians always talk about that God is wholly other, meaning that he is outside of creation. But what John is saying is that Jesus is not only God, but something miraculous happened. The Bible tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we, his glory, glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we need to ask ourselves today, why is it so important for Jesus to be human? The incarnation made it possible for him to die. God can't die. Jesus is unique. He's truly man. The incarnation allowed him to die. It made him possible to be touched by our feelings of how it is to be human. By becoming man, Jesus also provided us an example of what it truly means to be human. Adam and Eve lost that in the garden. But Jesus has shown how we can be truly human. Through the incarnation, God sanctified the value of human life in a way that has never been done. As we think about the world today, it's all about me. It's all about my choice. Jesus is God. Jesus is man. He is the mediator, the only one who is truly God and truly man. He is unique. He is the one who has the ability to affect the ultimate goal of mediation, our redemption and reconciliation. Again, I say, I believe I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I have been set free from the bondage of sin and no longer condemn. I believe I am truly alive, no longer dead to the things of God. I'm alive to God. I am alive to the Bible. I am alive to the family of God. I believe I am now in the family of God. 
Paul tells us that for all who are being led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. I, have belie- I believe I have been adopted into God's family, granted full rights and privileges of sonship in a family to which I didn't belong by nature. To such a degree that now I am able to cry out, Daddy, or Dad, or Father. Do you realize that the word in the Greek is really translated Daddy? Of course, the Bible is always talking about the Father because it seems to be beneath. But that really tells me that the relationship that I have with God is so intimate It's like a father and son. I believe God's family is selective and it's not all inclusive. Only those who have confessed Jesus as Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead are truly being led by the Spirit are in the family. Jesus says in John 8, 31 to 47, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. I believe that once I'm in God's family, I will never be out of his family, no matter what I do. I'm going to tell a little tale about myself. (laughs) When I was in junior high, my mother left because my sister Sally was having her first child. So it was just my brother and myself and my dad. My dad went to work. I went to my friends. And rather than catching the bus to go to school, we decided we weren't going to school that day. Well, bottom line is we got caught. My best friend, Paul, His dad got to us first. I could still remember his dad putting us over the bed, getting the belt out, and going to town. Of course, Paul was the lucky one because I had to still go home, and I still had to go to my dad, and I'm going to go, shoot, I'm going to get beat twice. My dad, when he got home, and I don't know whether it's because he didn't go to school all the time, I don't know what it was, but he said, I understand, you're okay. I don't know whether he already knew that I was beat earlier or what. (laughs) But the brother that I'm talking about, he was Mr. Citizenship every year in school. It was all about, hey, I've got to look a certain way. He was built for the military. He went into the military. He was a Navy guy. I mean, even my dog would obey him. I, I, <laughs> you know how some people are just that way? You know? We're driving to Little League to sign up that night. Backseat of the car, my brother, you've wrecked the Ina name. I'm the youngest, by the way. That's all I heard. You've wrecked the Ina name. 
that affected me. I was at such a low point. And I'll never forget. <laughs> Standing by that ball field, my dad. He put his arm around me. And he said, Joe, you can never wreck the Einan name. You're an Einan. You're in this family. You can't even imagine a little boy receiving that kind of grace and love. And every time that I doubt because of something that I have done, that I'm out of God's family, I come back to that image of my dad wrapping his arm around me. Jesus says in John 10, 27, 29, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Did you hear that? Once we're in, we're in. I love what he says next. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. The awesome creator. Who? Who can come along? Nobody. I believe being in God's family involves a change that is radical, supernatural, and far-reaching. Radical, I am no longer in the family that holds me as a slave to wickedness, under divine judgment, and destined to eternal death. Supernatural, it is done for me from above. Jesus said you must be born again. John 3.16 implies that this birth is from above rather than from below. It is divinely imparted. It's far-reaching. The end of the spiritual rebirth is not only deliverance from sin's judgment, but glorification. I believe being in God's family means that I will show the leading of the Spirit in my daily life. I am becoming Christ-like in my behavior. I believe being in the family of God, I have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in my life. I believe I will be a participant in Christ's sufferings. P persecution proves that I'm really a child of God. Suffering will produce growth and holiness in my life. I believe my citizenship is not of this world. I believe I've been born into a living hope. D. Martin Lord-Jones states, Hope is the measure of true Christianity, which is through and through otherworldly. Pseudo-Christianity always looks chiefly at this world. Popular Christianity is entirely this worldly and not interested in the other world. But true Christianity has its eye mainly on the world which is to come. It is not primarily concerned even with the deliverance from hell and punishment and all the things that trouble us and weary us. 
That really belongs in the past. True Christianity sets its affections on things which are above, not on things which are on earth. It is that which says, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4.18 I believe my ultimate destination is glorification. No longer confined in this body of death, but receiving a new body void of any defects. I should at least get one amen on that. <laughs> Paul says, we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, for the redemption of our body, for in the hope that we have been saved, but the hope that is seen is not hope, but for those who hope for what he already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. I believe that the Holy Spirit helps me in my weaknesses, for I do not know how to pray as I should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for me with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's a lot. But do you understand? How cool is it that when we are truly in the family, when we're truly connected to God, that God doesn't abandon us, that God doesn't just leave us alone. He understands that we're still in this body, has defects. But the Holy Spirit is there and understands the mind of God because He is God. But He understands where we are. And so He prays on our behalf. I'll let that sink in. Maybe you want to think about that later on as you drive home today. I believe that God causes all things to work together for my good because I love God. And that I'm called to according to his purpose. For he foreknew me, he also predestined me to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. He predestined me, he called me, and since he called me, he justifies me. And since he justifies me, he also glorifies me. Now I can say this. If God is for me, who is against me? Who, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for me, how will he not also with him freely give me all things? Who will bring a charge against me? God is the one who justifies, the one who condemns. Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather he was raised, who is at the right hand of the Father, who also intercedes for me. Who will separate me from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword... But in all these things, I overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves me. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate me from the love of God. 
which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All of you might agree. You believe these truths as well as I do. But I'm going to ask you a serious question. Do you really believe? Back in the 19th century, there was a famous acrobat known all over the world. His name is Charles Badin. Born in France in 1824, Badin became well-known in France. While he was still a child, he grew older. His skill plus his flair for the spectacular soon brought him acclaim uh, of many in Europe and then in the United States. His most spectacular feats, those that drew the most attention, were his crossing of the Niagara Falls over a, on a tightrope. 1,100 feet long, 160 feet above the water. Once he pushed a wheelbarrow across, another occasion he stopped halfway and, believe it or not, cooked an omelet. Once in an unusual demonstration of skill, Badin carried a man across Niagara Falls on his back and then turned around and came back with him on the back. After he put his rider down, the acrobat turned to the audience and asked a man who was near, do you believe that I could do that with you? Of course, the man said. I've just watched you do it. Baudin said, hop on, and I'll carry you across. And the man answered, not on your life. <laughs> that is the difference between believing something on the intellectual level only and believing in the sense of belief that the Bible calls for when, we, when it asks us to believe on Christ. To believe in the biblical sense is to commit yourselves to Christ, to trust him, to carry you over the churning trials and wild whirlpools of life. So Paul's question on belief by urging us to act on those beliefs and now we come to the crucial part. Paul has laid out all the things that I said I believe in. All the wonderful things of what he can do in our lives. And then what is it that he's asking us to do? I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable. Leon Morris, who is a biblical theologian, says, It is fundamental to Paul that the justified man does not live in the same way as the unrepentant sinner. So how should we live? Well, bad news, or maybe it's good news is by dying. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Now, this is, you know, for a com competitive person, this doesn't make sense to me. I mean, the bottom line is, hey, if you want to win, 
you know, just die. But in God's realm, everything is flipped. And we need to trust him. We need to incorporate and get ourselves out of the way. By dying to our own desires to serve Christ is when we actually learn to live. The problem is we don't believe it. We think that if we deny ourselves, we will be miserable. Remember when I started talking about that hybrid thing of, hey, we want to have all these good things. Well, man, it feels great that, that we can sing songs and really feel that this, the presence of God is here. And it really feels great. But then when we leave, it's like, you know, I still want this or it's still me. It's all about me. That's not what Christ and true happiness is. So I'm going to ask you today. Who are you willing to believe? What the world is saying? Always changing the rules? Or are you going to believe in Jesus Christ? The, the, the Christian worldview. Alan, you want to bring your group up and as we close out today? We need to get out of the way. We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. He owns you. You've died to your past. You're no longer who you used to be. Paul is saying that you've already died to sin in the sense that you cannot successfully return to your old lives. So offer yourself a living sacrifice today. Don't live any longer for yourself, but live for him who died for you and was raised again. Give your bodies to Christ, meaning that all that you are, your minds, if you fill your mind only with the products of secular culture, you will remain secular and sinful. We need to be dwelling on God's truths. We need to be filling our minds with the things of the Lord. The enemy is constantly battling. Yeah, we watch TV, whatever it might be that fills our minds, we become what we're putting in our minds. Your eyes and ears, give that to Christ. Those are the mechanisms that allow your mind to be filled. Use your tongues. Give them to Christ to praise and serve God rather than what you can do to damage others. Use your hands and feet. Use it, your hands and your, your feet in ways that work and play to serve God. This is really our call today. I told you how I believe, and I encourage you to incorporate those beliefs into your life. If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ today, I urge you to do it. 
And those who have been struggling today with the things of the world and your Christian walk, I urge you to die to yourself, to present yourselves a living sacrifice, offering yourself to God today. As I said through this service, what I believe, I am so thankful that God captured me when he did. And the result of desiring to live for him on a daily basis, and I can tell you, I don't do it perfectly. I don't want you to do this, but you could go to Leslie today and say, hey, and she could tell you, I don't do it perfectly. But what we have and the family and all the things in life, I truly am thankful that I have given myself to the Lord. And I urge you today to present yourselves a living sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful today that you have come to this place to worship you. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to share what I believe. And I pray today that you, through your spirit, might impact those that as you have spoken to all of us, that we would go from this place desiring to die desiring to present ourselves a living sacrifice, offering our body to you. So we give you praise and we give you honor. And I just pray for those who are struggling right now as they cry out, who will rescue me? That they would choose you and not believe the enemy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.